BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Okay, we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, A political party with an armed paramilitary wing is not consistent with democracy. In California, speaking of guns, it looks like the gun industry won't be able to hide from accountability. This new law that Governor Newsom signed into law the day before yesterday It takes effect in uh, June, as I recall, of next year, about a year from now. And it's a big deal. I'll I'll give you all the details on that in just a minute. And I've got a crazy alert for you in the first hour. There's a new right-wing explanation for Trump's effort to tamper with a witness on the January 6th thing. Yeah, seriously, really. I'll tell you all about it. The right-wing terror machine is going after an abortion doctor around this 10-year-old girl who got impregnated in Ohio and had to flee to Indiana to get an abortion. And also there's a a judiciary crisis that Democrats need to be doing something about. We need to have a conversation with Dick Durbin about this, uh, among others, and Chuck Schumer. I'll get into that. So a lot to talk about today. There's a lot going on. And I want to start out with my op-ed today from HartmanReport.com. It's uh, it's titled, A Political Party with an Armed Paramilitary Wing is Not Consistent with Democracy. And, you know, I start out telling the story of this kid that used to terrorize me when I was, uh, me and several of my friends, actually, when, when I was growing up. This was 1959. I was like eight years old. And, and uh, this kid, his name was Dennis, and he lived down the street from us, and he would, he loved beating the crap out of people. I mean, this was his thing. And there were several people, uh, several other kids who eventually, I would start out as his victims and then became part of his gang. He had a little gang of uh, three guys and they would, you know, go around just pounding on anybody. And I, I, I later learned that uh, Dennis's dad used to uh, tie him to a pole in the basement and whip him frequently. Uh, for any transgression, basically. This was Dennis's punishment for pretty much anything he did. Um, and that was when I first began to understand that the, although I didn't know the words, that the roots of authoritarianism are found in powerlessness and humiliation. You know, when the German soldiers returned home to Germany after their crushing defeat in World War I, they started forming armed paramilitary groups looking for a leader. Hitler came along and said, I will be your leader, and thus the brown shirt. Here in the United States, we're seeing, you know, 42 years of Reagan's neoliberalism has ripped apart the American economy and the American working class. We have shipped 60,000 factories overseas. That's tens of millions of good paying union jobs have been replaced with, do you want fries with that? And this collapse of the American middle class uh, right across the board has left a lot of Americans looking for villains. You know, who did this to me? And how and why? And, And the Republican Party, since Richard Nixon, has been more than happy to tell them that the villains in this story are black people, brown people, gay people, Democrats, liberals, uh, you name it. I mean, you know, this is the famous quote from, from uh, you know, Nixon's chief of staff, uh, H, uh, John Ehrlichman, about this. To compound this, 
We've had three massive tranches of tax cuts, the first from Reagan, the second from Bush Jr., and the third from Donald Trump, that have turned America into the most unequal society in the developed world. We have levels of inequality now in the United States that exceed the, any time in our history, that ex literally exceed the Gilded Age. And, you know, this is, this is a combustible mixture. A functioning civil society requires trust, trust in the government and trust in each other. But who can trust a government that has impoverished them? And who can trust city slickers who are living high on the hog, or is, at least seem to be, as rural America sinks deeper and deeper into debt. And just consider these numbers. Uh, red states, men in red states, watched resentfully as this educated urban middle class replaced them at the center of the American economy. The Brookings Institution just found that in 2016, the, the counties that put Donald Trump in the White House generated only 36% of the entire nation's economic output. By 2020, the Trump voting red counties had fallen to just 29% of, of, of the economy. These people are powerless. They're humiliated. They're sliding deeper into debt every year. And, and they are, and, and obviously many of them are racist, but it goes beyond that. You know, now you've got Republicans coming along and adding racism to this mixture openly. I mean, you know, Donald Trump, he opened his campaign in 2016 or 2015, his primary, he opened it by pointing to brown people coming across the border as the cause of your problems. And of course, that black guy in the White House, uh, Barack Obama, who's there illegitimately, this was, you know, Trump's sales pitch. He was, he was the birther before there were birthers. I mean, you know, this, this, he, he started this thing. So here you've got all these disempowered white men across America, and what happens? Bushmaster comes along and starts a two-year advertising campaign around the theme of consider your man card reissued. And now Republicans are using that your gun is your man card thing in their advertising and their marketing. You see, you know, Republicans shooting at things. You see Republicans aiming guns at things. You see yeah, in their television ads. In 2016, Donald Trump invited the Oath Keepers to protect polling places in the election. This was when the Republican Party merged with an armed white supremacist militia. And mixing a political party with an armed paramilitary wing is a, a, an absolute flaming disaster for a democracy. We saw this, like I said earlier, in Germany in the 1920s with the brown shirts and Hitler, the late 1920s, early 1930s. And we saw it, and the, the, the only time, to the best of my knowledge, we saw something like this in the United States was the rise of the Klan in the 1880s through the 1930s, when they were, you know, quite literally the armed paramilitary wing of the, the largely Southern white racists, who were mostly at that time Democrats, although there was no shortage of Republicans who were right there with them in the Klan. But the result of this has been an absolute explosion of guns. In 2001, only 3 million guns were manufactured and sold in the United States. The first year that President Obama was in office, we elected a black guy as president, and these white racists went nuts. The first year that Obama was in office, it went to 5 million guns a year. By his fifth year in office, they were pouring out of the American factories at nearly 11 million guns a year. And that doesn't count those manufactured overseas and sold in the United States. Uh, this is a quote from a, a website called Visual Capitalist that compiles statistics and puts them into graphs. From 2010 to 2019, an average of 13 million guns were sold legally in the United States every year. 13 million. In 2020 and 2021, annual gun sales sharply increased to 20 million a year. This is what's called a generative process. It creates more of itself. 
as gun violence in, as the number of guns increases, gun violence increases. As gun violence increases, the fear of gun violence increases. As the fear of gun violence increases, more more people buy guns to protect themselves from gun violence. And thus you've got more guns. A 2020 study found that 40% of gun 40% uh, of gun purchases were first-time buyers. That was a 67% increase over previous years. And now you've got Republican politicians talking about Second Amendment remedies that started with Sharon Engel in 2011, and they're still using that phrase. And when you combine that sense of victimhood with this explosive search for villains responsible for the economic, political, and social stress, and then throw in gratuitous racism being openly promoted by the Republican Party and their candidates, this is what you get. And the Republican Party, instead of looking at this going, you know, we should disavow this armed paramilitary wing. We should say, no, no, we got nothing to do with Proud Boys and Three Percenters and, and uh, you know, Oath Keepers and whatnot. No, 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 no. They're not saying that. Instead, John Cornyn came out day before yesterday and said, we are not going to do anything, nothing, zero, zip, nada, to stop the, 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 the river of guns that are flowing into American society right now and the 400 plus million guns that have already polluted our political landscape, our national landscape. This is now the Republican position. They are embracing armed white supremacist militias. And it goes way beyond just the, the, the money that the NRA gives Republican politicians. This I own a gun has become basically the key to Republican identity in America. Or at least, well, I was going to say at least white Republicans, but basically that's pretty much the only kind of Republicans there are anymore. Yes, I know about Tim Scott. He's the exception that proves the rule, in fact, in my opinion. This, these guys are the 2022 version of the Klan and the brown shirts. And the Republican Party needs to repudiate them. It's not. And so this is just going to get worse and worse. So what do we do about it? Well, Gavin Newsom in California has a solution. I'll tell you about that on the other side of this break. You'll find the rant over at HartmanReport.com. It's titled, A Political Party with an Armed Paramilitary Wing is Not Consistent with Democracy. So, California, this is a big deal. You know, I, I, I laid out the one of the problems, I mean, you know, there's this large problem of a militia aligning itself with a political party. This is something that when it happens, this is like Duterte using the various police departments and armed militias, private militias across the Philippines as a private army to go after and kill people who are using drugs. Uh, this is like the brown shirts in Germany. They were, you know, people think the brown shirts were like an official part of the army or something. No, no, no. They were like the Proud Boys, this, or at least that's how they started, as a volunteer militia that had nothing to do with the government, and Hitler brought them in. The black shirts, Mussolini's people, again, another, I mean, what's with these guys' fashion statements? Oh, yeah, we've got to all dress the same. Um, these nonconformists always conforming. Um, but the black shirts for, for, uh, for Benito Mussolini, same deal. So what do we do? with all these guns. I mean, pouring guns into this kind of a mixture is like pouring gasoline on a fire. Well, Gavin Newsom just signed a law, a bill into law in California that will go into effect in July of next year. It goes into effect one year from, from this month. It's called, it was Assembly Bill 1594. It's called the Firearm Industry Responsibility Act. And it requires manufacturers, distributors, and dealers of guns and ammunition to uh, follow these new state standards. Now you say, well, wait a minute. What happened, there was this law passed in 2005, George W. Bush, when the Republicans controlled Congress and held the White House, George W. Bush pushed through this federal law called the Firearm Industry Responsibility Act, which says that you can't sue gun manufacturers. Well, it turns out there's a loophole in that federal law. And that loophole says that if a gun manufacturer violates state laws, they can be held responsible at the state level. So you can't sue them in federal court, but you can in state court if there's a state law that they're violating. 
So Gavin Newsom and the Democrats in, in California just provided that law. This is, this is good stuff. Gavin Newsom, uh, Phil Ting, the guy who co-authored the bill, he said gun violence is now the leading cause of death among kids and teens in the United States, surpassing car incidents, accidents. For far too long, the firearms industry has enjoyed federal immunity from civil lawsuits, providing them no incentive to follow our laws. And uh, Gavin Newsom, you know, comes out and says, okay, this is it. He says, nearly every industry is held to account when their products cause harm or injury, all except one, the gun industry. Today, California is going to change that. They can no longer hide from the mass destruction they have caused. Bingo. By the way, Newsom, who, you know, we're speculating about for president, he just endorsed Joe Biden, said, yes, I'll vote for him in a heartbeat. Campaign for him, too. Which is absolutely the right answer to the question, even if you're thinking of running for president. Good on you, Gavin Newsom. We'll be right back. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com Hartman. That's netsuite.com Hartman. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Oh, man, holy cow. Just a quick heads up here. Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders have worked out a version two of Build Back Better and that they want to roll out in the next few weeks. And now there's this small bunch of right wing Democrats, Democrats on the take, basically, in the uh, House of Representatives. Josh Gottheimer is the leader of the gang, but it also includes Carolyn Bordeaux, a Democrat from Georgia, Ed Case, a Democrat from Hawaii, Tom Suzy, a Democrat from New York, Susie Lee, a Democrat from Nevada, Dean Phillips, a Democrat from Minnesota, and, um, and Mikey Sherrill, a Democrat from New Jersey. And, you know, Joe, Bi Joe Manchin says, okay, this bill is good enough for me, but these guys are well, the, the story um, Axios is reporting that Gothheimer, quote, is gauging support among House centrists for a counteroffer to the emerging Senate reconciliation package with one big clause, no new taxes on billionaires. Well, you know who's paying these people, right? I mean, it shouldn't be a surprise. So Pramila Jayapal, who you know, runs the Congressional Progressive Caucus, this article I'm, I'm getting this from is very it's kind of poorly written because it doesn't identify the sources. Let me just get to the, this quote is, is from an author, okay? I, you know, the author named Greenberg. Quote, Gottheimer is just being a saboteur, totally captured by his financial sector donors attempting to stop progress by throwing a tantrum. He takes his cues from wealthy Wall Streeters who happen to be one of their multiple mansions, who happen to have one of their multiple mansions in his New Jersey district. That's why it makes sense for him to throw sand in the gears of any bill that might make those mansion owners pay their fair share of taxes. Obviously, Democrats are not immune to being bought off any more than Republicans are. Uh, it's just that there are a lot fewer of them. I just named, what, uh, maybe seven or eight Democrats who are on the take in the House. Well, weirdly enough, the House majority is, what, seven or eight? 
or thereabouts. I don't, I don't recall the exact number, but it's in that neighborhood. So, you know, all the billionaires have to do is buy off a small number of Democrats. They've got two in the Senate, Manchin and Cinema, and they've got six, seven, eight in the House. We've got a, a lot of work to do in this regard. And, and, and frankly, I think, in, you know, it's uh, probably most of these primaries are over and these people are really, really well funded. We got rid of one of them here, Kurt Schrader in Oregon. We had one of these sellout, bought off Democrats here in Oregon and we replaced him with a good progressive. This, is a, this has got to be a project for all of us. So anyway, step by step. Christian in Richmond, Virginia. Hey, Christian, what's on your mind today? I guess my question and my comment today is almost irrelevant given the uh, darkness that I just had to listen to the last few minutes about guns. But moving along, I don't know if you saw the report today in Washington Post and elsewhere that Donald Trump is considering a, a presidential run announcement for September. Right. Originally, we thought it might happen a week or so ago. But, yeah, I saw that article. And, you know, he's, he sees this as his insulation against a lawsuit. He thinks if he's a candidate for president that <laughs> Merrick Garland will be less likely to prosecute him. Uh, yeah, that's funny. I mean, I think it's I think it's sort of funny that he thinks that. Um, yeah, but I there agree. are a lot of reasons for that. But uh, what, what, my, what my take was that this might be the best news that Democrats could have probably hoped for in these upcoming elections, and I'll explain why. Uh, if he announces a run just when the January sixth commission is putting out their report about what happened and all the bad news is coming at him, every Republican is going to be forced to answer a question: Do you? Or do you not support Donald Trump's run for president in 2024? And if the answer yes, they do, then it's clear that they support a seditionist and a violent a potential dictator for the president of the United States. And that's going to galvanize every Democrat and independent to show up and vote against them, in the, again, vote against Republicans in the midterm. If they say they don't, then that potentially sets up uh, you know, a bunch of lunatics who are still following this guy to stay home and not vote at all. Yep. And, mean, and also it, it, nope. it creates a civil war within the party because you've got Ron DeSantis right. who's desperately running for, for president, although first he's got to hold on to his seat as governor of Florida, which we talked about earlier in the week. Sure. I, I think he's right now no. probably purging Democratic voters even faster than Jeb Bush did back in 2000. No, that's exactly right. Um, I, I agree with you about that. This, look, I'm not saying that anything's set in stone, and if it's a 70-30 chance he's going to announce, but you want to talk about good news for Democrats and what they could have hoped for. I mean, no one's going to talk about inflation, gas prices, or how old Joe Biden is. Right. It's going to be like, the talk is only going to be about Donald Trump. I agree. I agree. Christian, I, th I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I, you. your, your analysis is spot on. Christian, thanks a lot for the call. Okay. Philip in Ocala, Florida. Hey, Philip, what's on your mind today? Hi, I'm going to tell you why nothing's going to happen to Trump. Okay. And, and, and you brought up how many guns there are in the United States. I don't think Merrick Garland wants to sacrifice his life and the life of his family to prosecute him. If he did that, he would be getting a state funeral within a week. I don't think so. If you don't think that's true, then you don't know what, it's, what, what, what gun violence is. They got to Reagan. Remember that? Well, no, they didn't get to Reagan. One crazy guy whose dad yeah, was very, very wealthy and very well connected. Uh, you know, John Hinckley's dad was having lunch with George H.W. Uh, Bush, the vice president, around the time that his son shot at Reagan. Right. Let's talk about 2022, not 1982. The reality is there are enough already willing and able Trump enthusiasts to put a couple of, of, of rounds into Merrick Garland and his entire family yeah. if he were to prosecute. You know, Philip, I, 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 I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just going to end the, the conversation right here. I, a, I disagree. Well, I, I agree that there's more than enough Trump enthusiasts who are willing to do that or who would fantasize about that or who would have fever dreams about that. But A, Garland's got good security, and B, we're not there yet. This, and, and, and thank God. And I don't think that, for, frankly, we're going to get there. We haven't seen uh, political assassinations in this country in a while. And the ones that we did see were not so much about politics. It was the mafia that took down John and Bobby Kennedy. And it was racism that took down Martin Luther King. You know, you could argue that that was politics, but, but I think not. I think you're massively overestimating the power and willingness of these people on the right. And frankly, I also think and maybe, you know, time will prove me wrong, but I believe not. 
that their numbers, rather than increasing, are decreasing right now. Dennis in Aptos, California. Hey, Dennis, what's on your mind today? Well, I think part of what might prove that is look what happened up in Boise, Idaho last month at the gay parade. The cops arrested all those, what were they, Proud Boys or Oath Keepers? No, it was another group, uh, Patriot okay. Front. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, <laughs> there's so many of them. Yeah. No, I, I, I think you're right. And um, uh, in that regard, I, I would hope that uh, Garland would do his job and indict Trump ASAP. I think he will. It is getting closer to the election. And there's enough evidence. The evidence is out there. It's in broad daylight. Yeah. Uh, all he has to do, you can indict him uh, right now just on uh, witness tampering. There's evidence. Yep. There's plenty of it. Now, I've got to say this, though. If, if Trump is indicted, and it could be on four or five different charges, maybe all seven that Cheney mentioned, um, he's not going to go to prison. He's going to get house arrest like uh, Lieutenant uh, Kelly of the uh, New Lie Massacre or uh, the gal in Burma. Um, I would just hope it wouldn't be Mar-a-Lago, that it would be Trump Tower so he can't golf. Uh, I could see him not having any media devices of any kind. He's ineligible to run for any office again. And, um, you know, he, he would just have to sit there. Every day, I don't know about visitors and all that, 24-7 guard, lock the windows so he can't jump out of his suite. That's what I'd like to see happen to Trump. Yeah. He'd be, he'd you know, be I, miserable. I, I referenced this, I believe it was two days ago, maybe three days ago on this program um, in response to a question, you know, from somebody who said, you know, is Trump going to go to jail? And, and I said, I don't think so. I don't think that there's any chance that Trump is going to go to jail, although I disagree. You know, my, my reason is somewhat different than yours, Dennis. And in fact, somebody uh, put up a diary on Daily Kos yesterday, uh, you know, saying essentially the same thing. So I, you know, I don't think I'm crazy here. And that is that, A, he's got a billion dollars and the best lawyers money can buy. He will be able to string this thing out for years, whatever kind of indictment or prosecution there is, number one. And number two, he's 77 years old or 76. He's in that neighborhood and, and he, he lives on cheeseburgers. I mean, yeah. this guy is, you know, mortal, shall we say. And so, and, and frankly, I think he's, you know, there, there is this thing that, you know, when men are uh, uh, at the peak of their power, their political power, when, the, when there's a lot of approval, their testosterone levels actually go up. And I think that that's been the case for Trump. But then when, when men lose power, like, I mean, there, there have been studies on this showing that literally when a man loses a job, his testosterone levels will drop like by 100 milligrams, whatever the mm. milligrams per deciliter. I don't know how they do it, but, um, but will measurably drop. And, and, and I think, you know, you, 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 you will see that with Trump, uh, in my opinion. And that, in, 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 not just the testosterone, but all of the psychological stuff associated with that is very often associated with things like heart attacks and strokes. So, yeah, you know, well, I... Sure. Here's another thing, too. I mean, he could try to string this out. Uh, Bannon apparently tried to string it out, and he's got to go to court next week. So yeah. I think that's a matter of the judges. Judges, first thing he's going to do is try to get a dismissal. That's gone. And then he's going to try this, that, and the other thing. He's got to have judges just saying no, 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 and get right. him to trial ASAP. But if he can string it out for three or four or five years... I don't think he'll outlive that. Although, you know, who knows? I mean, sometimes people surprise you. Dennis, I got to run. Thank you for the call. Interesting topic, isn't it? We'll be right back with more of your calls in just a moment. Brian in Squim, Washington, watching us on Free Speech TV. Hey, Brian, what's on your mind today? Good morning, Tom. Um, there's so much information that's been discovered by the January 6th investigation. They couldn't get it all out. And allegedly, there is a conversation that was overheard between Trump and uh, Stuart Rhodes, who was affectionately known by the president as a stink eye stew. And uh, at any rate, the basic thing that, that was said was that uh, the Oath Keepers were concerned that um, somehow they were being left out of the picture because the president had said to the <clears throat> Proud Boys, stand back and stand by. Mm -hmm. And so he, he wanted to assure the president that they were on board, and he told them he'd keep an eye out for him. Wow. You know, my, the question that I've been wondering, and I, I mentioned this once uh, a few days ago, and uh, it, I think, frankly, it needs more, more uh, exposure and speculation, 
is whether the, I mean, the Oath Keepers were providing security for Roger Stone. Uh, they have provided security for Steve Bannon, I believe. Um, they, they have provided security for other Republican politicians. The Republicans and the Oath Keepers have been really tight since 2016 when Donald Trump invited them into the GOP. I'm wondering if those Oath Keepers who were at the Capitol were there in anticipation of Donald Trump arriving and they were going to be his Praetorian Guard. They were going to be his, his, uh, his uh, protectors who would lead him up to, you know, through the crowd and into the, cha into the Senate chamber there and up to the podium where, where he would uh, proclaim that he is now the President of the United States, henceforth and forevermore, world without end, amen. What do you think, uh, Brian? I, I think you just painted this chilling picture that I certainly hope never comes to that. But we, you know, when when Hitler was was uh, inducted as chancellor of Germany, the brown shirts were there. Um, so where are we at? If we use that as an analogy, like 1931, 32. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. I think except so. except that we've interrupted the, the process. Uh, you know, Joe Biden getting elected interrupted the process, and I, I think it's permanently broken. I think that what we're looking at now is going to be stochastic terrorism, scattershot killings and violence as this movement continues to try to do its little civil war, uh, but I don't think it's ever going to get its mojo back. Whatever happened to the silver shirts? Who's that? Well, during the 30s in America, the, the pro-fascists, kind of like the, the members of the Bund, mm -hmm. um, they literally were wearing these silver shirts in emulation of the stormtroopers in Germany. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I didn't know about that. What's, what's with fascists doing fashion statements, you know? I mean, it's like, you know, these, these militias wearing, you know, tan khakis and polo shirts and, you know, oh, yeah, we've, you know, we're into a fashion statement here. It's like, what? I'm, su I'm, I'm surprised that Sir doesn't have a swastika on his eye patch. Yeah, well, apparently he's he's uh, he's going to go along and get along. He's he's trying to stay out of prison, so he's he's uh, he's uh, cooperating with the prosecutors. I mean, we'll see. He's facing seditious conspiracy. He's facing 20 years in prison. But Brian, thanks a lot for the call. I got to run here, but thank you. You are here on the place where smart people get their news. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And welcome back. Kim in Nashua, New Hampshire. I used to live in Nashua. Hey, Kim, what's up? You did. Oh, I did. hi. Thanks for taking my call, Tom. I love your show. Thank you. And I, last night I watched a really interesting documentary. I kind of wondered if you had seen it, too. It's called Wives of the Oligarchs. No. It's on, oh, it's on Paramount Plus, and it um, interviews like three or four of the wives of Russian oligarchs, and it goes all the way up to today to the Ukrainian war or the war. And it talks about it does a, it makes a really compelling case about how um, Putin is like a mafia kingpin and it shows his rise to power. And I just thought it was an important film to watch and thought other people might be interested in watching it because um, to me, it really just kind of shine the light on the fact that, um, you know, the Republican rhetoric really works to try to divide us up, you know, exploiting fears about race, gender, religion, to really divert our attention from what to me seems to be happening. You know, I just kind of worry that we're going to have a repeat here in the U.S. of 
this rise of oligarchy like what happened in Russia. Maybe it'll happen a little different. But I was kind of relieved to hear what you said earlier that, you know, you didn't think we were at this point of like people assassinating leaders and things. Well, I haven't I haven't seen any evidence of it. I mean, you know, there's there's all kinds of threats and lots of noise being made. But um, uh, it's I, I, I don't think we're there. But we are in full-blown oligarchy in the United States. I mean, Jimmy Carter said that on this program mm-hmm. seven years ago. America is no longer a democracy. Right. It's an oligarchy. And he was right. You know, we do have democratic aspects of our society, and we need to amplify those and strengthen those. And we need to bring back, you know, reasonable tax rates so that we can, so we can get our oligarchy under control. But spot on. So it was called Wives of the Oligarchs. On Wives Paramount of the Plus. Oligarchs, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yep. I'll have to check it out. Kim, thank you. Thanks yeah. for the information thank on that. Thank you. Good talking Thanks. to you. Have thank a great you. day. Yep, Bye. you too. Kathleen in Tallahassee, Florida. Hey, Kathleen, what's on your mind today? Hi. I was really uh, like to get some insight as to why you think a three-star general, Mike Flynn, would join with Trump. I think he's mentally I'm ill. From mili- I'm from a military family, and I just cannot imagine that happening. Yeah, I, I think he's mentally ill. I, I, I genuinely do. And, and, you know, Obama fired him and, uh, because he was acting like a paranoid. Uh, I, think, I think he is uh, clinically paranoid. He's a conspiracy theorist. Um, I, I, I think it's really a, a fairly simple explanation. And I think that a lot, of the, a lot of the kind of people that he had surrounded himself with, and frankly, a lot of people in these various militia movements who are like preparing for the end of the world and these preppers and, you know, uh, stashing food and, and digging holes in the ground in the woods and stuff like that. I think that there's a, a fair amount of mental illness and that that is associated with this and these people draw each other to themselves Makes well sense? i hope that trump can claim mental illness at the end of this all <laughs> yeah well trump is clearly mentally ill but he's also uh, clearly a criminal and mental illness is uh, sometimes a defense against criminality but i don't i don't think that uh, either trump's or flynn's mental illness should be considered a uh, a defense against criminality because there's a lot of paranoid people out there you know, who are suffering from paranoia, who actually, you know, are concerned that people who don't commit crimes, you know, they know how to live in society. They may have an, uh, you know, an unpleasant life, you know, tortured by their mental illness, but they're not criminals. And so I, you know, I, I, I don't give them a pass. Kathleen, thank you. Greg in um, Stellacom, Washington. Hey, Greg, we got about a minute to the break. What's up? Hey, hey, Tom, I'm an old army guy and I'm a really lousy chess player, but I watch the world events in the form of chess. I don't think they're going to prosecute Trump immediately, but I think you're going to see the House of Cards and the House of Trump slowly fall, and people will start getting used to seeing the worker bees, the, the, the pawns getting taken away. So right now I'm looking at it from a chess standpoint. I want to get your thoughts on this. I think a good think analogy might, th- might be the Marcos family, but go ahead, Greg. Well, I think there there are three uh, people that were testifying. There were those that were honest. There were those that didn't testify and took the fifth. And there there were those who thought they could fool the Justice Department and the and the and the court. And I think one of those was Ivanka Trump. Yes. And I think she has possibly perjured herself. And they're going to cut a plea deal with her because she doesn't want to see her kids raised behind a four-inch thick piece of prison glass. So she's the queen. And she's going to tell on the king. Checkmate. Well, let's hope so, Greg. Let's hope so. I, certainly, you know, I mean, she, there's uh, plenty of evidence that back in the day, she and Eric and Don Jr. were in, involved in, in, you know, criminal grifting. Rolling Stone did a huge story on this like four or five years ago with an apartment building in New York City where they were just lying to people to get them to buy in. We'll continue our conversation right after this. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Ari in Eureka, California. Hey, Ari, thanks for using the Tom Harbin app. What's up? Sure thing. Hey, Tom, I'm a costume designer, so I pay attention to these things. You asked several times this morning statements for these militia groups and the brown shirts and the black shirts and the coat polos. I think it has to do with the fact that we don't have any manhood rights in our society anymore, and you're not a man until your father or some other man tells you you're a man. And so by putting the shirt on, you're a man. Oh, that's interesting. We like to label ourselves. We like to label ourselves so that people know who we are. It's why people wear 
shirts with their favorite band. It says who they are. Yeah, it's a statement of identity. So uh, exactly. that would argue more, you know, I, I totally get your, your lack of uh, rituals of manhood or adulthood. I mean, you know, the, we have uh, vestigial ones from ancient times, you know, the confirmation in the Catholic Church, the bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah in Judaism. Um, it, those were, have been largely replaced by basically high school graduation um, as, as a ritual of adulthood. There used to be, you know, going into the military. That would, that was certainly like during World War II. That was a for my father. I know that was that, that was the turning point in his life. That was when he thought that he'd become a man. He, you know, at 17, he joined the army. But it seems like maybe what you're describing is more closely associated with a sense of tribal identity. Um, not so much well, I'm now too, a man, yeah. but now, but rather I've found my community and now I'm part of it. This is more of, you know, in the third hour, we're going to have this expert on, or this guy who got out of a cult on. And I think it's kind of that. Does that make sense, I think Art? it's both. Yeah. I, I think it's both. And that's why, that's why we have the proud boys, not the proud girls. Why would women be less inclined to have tribe than men? Um, I think women automatically create tribe just in how we socialize. Oh, well, also uh, oppressed minorities, and women are one in the United States, certainly, um, tend to bind you to think? each other just by virtue of the fact uh, of their identity. Um, whereas in oppressor majorities, you have, uh, you know, it's, it's more atomized. There's more fractioning of, of uh, social groups. Yeah, that's true. But I think women bond more easily than men just in general. Yeah, that's my point. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I, and, yeah. and I think the, yeah. the, the, the thing that drives that bonding among women is the sense, you know, there, there was a, 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 just a kind of a throwaway comment I read. Uh, I think it was over at Daily Kos a week or two ago, and, and it's just haunted me. I've been thinking about writing an op-ed about it. Somebody did a study, and they asked men and women, what are you afraid of? And the number one thing uh -huh, that men yeah. were afraid of was humiliation. The number one thing that women were afraid of was being murdered or raped, violence. And I mean, yeah, if you, that's yeah, amazing. If you ask a man, if you ask a man, what do you do when you walk out your door to stay safe? Most men will look at you and go, well, what do you mean? Exactly. But most women will say, I put my keys in my fist. Right. I look around. Right. Right. And, and so, therefore, you can see that women would, you know, automatically f feel a bond with other women because, hey, we're all in this together, whereas men, yeah. not so much. Yeah, I get yeah. it. All right, thank you. I, I'm, I'm still crystallizing this. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out, a, a, you know, a take or an angle or a hook into it to, to write an op-ed about it because I think it's a huge sociological thing, you know? All right, thank you. I look you. forward to reading that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I think you've identified something important here. Jane in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, Jane, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? Um, you spoke earlier about the, um, the uniform of the militia guys, mm -hmm. um, the casual clothing, the khaki pants and the white shirts and, and uh, the blue sweaters or whatever. Yeah. Those are the clothes Donald Trump wears when he goes to golf. Uh... Those are Donald Trump's golfing outfits. That's interesting. Uh-huh. Look at the Charlottesville. They were in white shirts and, and, and khaki pants. That's what Donald wears to golf. So and you, sometimes he wears a blue sweater across his shoulder. The uh -huh. other guys show up in blue sweaters. The, one who, the ones who showed up at MLTO's um, graveside not too long ago, they were wearing the same thing. So they are all mimicking Donald Trump's golf, um, golfing outfit. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh-huh. Wow. Which raises the question, Jane, if Trump goes down in flames politically, and I think he's on the verge of it, mm -hmm. are these guys going to want to continue to uh, model his fashion statement? And uh, oh, I, certainly. He's their hero, yeah. no matter what happens to him. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. This is, this yeah. is where I, I said to a caller a little bit ago, and I, I think it deserves a little more exploration, that I think that there are maybe parallels to the Marcos family. I was in the Philippines when Ferdy Marcos got overthrown and was run out of town. In fact, I got bumped mm -hmm. off uh, flights from Manila to uh, Honolulu 
five days in a row uh -huh. on Philippine Airlines because of all of Mar Marcos's cronies were, were uh, uh -huh. taking over the planes, basically. And uh, uh -huh. so I was stuck there as, uh, as Aquino was coming to power, and I'm forgetting the name uh -huh. of the uh, member of the Senate who got murdered in a public toilet, and, and he was, you know, his body was carried right down the street of uh, where my hotel uh -huh. was. And, and we all thought, okay, that's the end of the Marcos reign, right? Ferdy's going to mm -hmm. go to Hawaii with his wife, Imelda, and they're going to, you know, mm -hmm. live out their lives. But now mm -hmm. Ferdy's uh, daughter is, or maybe mm -hmm. granddaughter, I, I think it's his daughter, is the vice president mm -hmm. of the Philippines. And, oh, and, and I'm, I'm wondering if, uh, you know, if the Trump family dynasty is going to survive mm -hmm. this kind of thing. Which is kind of a, a digression from yeah, this conversation. But. I, I don't think it's a matter of good or negative or positive. Mm -hmm. The fact is that they are getting the attention. Donald right now is being immortalized. Yeah, good point. Okay, oh, Jane, thank you. I appreciate the call. This is a fascinating thing. How democracies cease to be democracies as a consequence of a strong man essentially taking over the country. You know, Ferdy Marcos, the Philippines was a, a relatively high-functioning democracy for a while after World War II. I mean, you know, we, we claimed the Philippines in World War II from the Japanese. And, 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 uh, and, and Marcos gradually, over about a 20-year period, turned it into an oligarchy, into strongman rule. He, you know, just corrupted the whole thing, very much like Orban is doing in Hungary right now. And like Trump tried to do here in the United States. And I'm, I'm wondering out loud here if this is going to be the trajectory of that the GOP is going to try to go down. I mean, Ferdy Marcos's party followed him, right? Or will the Republican Party wake up and shake off the Trumps? Stay tuned. Christina in Columbia, <laughs> South Carolina, you are on the air. So I'm actually calling in reference to something you said much earlier in the show. You talked about a study about men and women and what they most fear. And you said this was something that you were kind of toying around with, writing an op-ed about and just the concept of the differences between what men and women fear. And you were also talking about the context, in context of tribalism, with mm -hmm. that there is a distinct difference when you set these opposing figures up against each other, where the men are willing to stand up and defend themselves against being humiliated rather than accepting the consequences of their actions, where these women are coming up in response to having had violence acted against them and are trying to, you know, to, to hold this person accountable. They're, they're not doing it. The women aren't coming up to try and humiliate the men. They're doing it because they have had violence acted upon them. Right. The men are afraid of being humiliated. Um, and what has happened in all of these situations, a tribe of women comes up from Twitter, social media, everything to help um, be a community of support for these women. You have you have one accuser, and then by the end of the week, you have 18 accusers. You know, you have um, one woman who's willing to testify. By the end of the day, you have six women willing yeah, to testify. Yeah, Eugene Carroll and you Donald know. Trump. Yes, yes. And so it only takes one act of courage on the woman's part to help inspire courage in her tribe of women, women who share her story, who share her fears, who share, you know, that that sense of mm -hmm. um, being violated. Yeah. So I just wanted to give you that angle um, of the thought for your study, uh -huh. because on the flip side, you don't have men forming the same type of tribal community to stand up and defend the men. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And if anything, uh, but, they try to distance themselves. And, and forgive me for trying to hurry you along, but there, there's the music. Christine, I got to run. I'm sorry. Back on July 1st, which is what, about two weeks ago, a reporter for the Indiana Star, Sherry Rudavsky, who has been on the health and medical beat at the Indianapolis Star for 18 years. This is a highly respected reporter, citing as her source, Dr. Caitlin Barnard, who was the doctor who performed the abortion. This uh, reporter perform, uh, reported 
that a 10-year-old had had to flee Ohio, like, you know, criminals fleeing a state kind of thing. This 10-year-old girl had to flee Ohio to go to Indiana to get an abortion. And Joe Biden mentioned this from the White House, from the, from the podium, pointing out how crazy the, these anti-abortion laws are and, and, the, and these absolutists, the anti-abortion absolutists. And immediately, and by the way, this was because Governor Mike DeWine, the Republican governor of Ohio, had issued an executive order decreeing that if 10-year-olds got pregnant in Ohio, they had to carry that baby to term. And so, you know, the, the, the newspaper, the Indianapolis Star, writes this story. And immediately, the right wing comes out and attacks it. The Wall Street Journal, owned by Rupert Murdoch, as is Fox so-called news, uh, publishes a piece in which they called uh, the Rudavsky's report a fanciful tale that was too good to confirm. Right. On Fox News, Emily Campagno, by the way, Judd, Judd Legum is writing about this at popular.info this morning. On Fox News, Emily Campagno says that she finds it offensive that the supporters of abortion rights have invented a fake rape victim. Yeah, invented it. Tucker Carlson goes on TV and tells his three million viewers, um, yeah, this is, a, this is simply not true. There are no 10-year-old pregnant girls fleeing Ohio. The attorney general of Ohio, Dave Yost, goes on a Fox show with Jesse Waters and says, uh, we have regular contact with prosecutors and local police and sheriffs. Not a whisper anywhere of a 10-year-old girl who's pregnant. Not a damn. And then he talks to USA Today and he says, not a damn scintilla of evidence. This is the attorney general. The, the chief law enforcement officer for the state of Ohio. Well, I don't know of anything about this. And then he goes on to say to the USA Today, this is likely a fabrication. So this story just explodes across the American media. It appears that this explosion, by the way, began the smear campaign against the, the, the doctor, Bernard, and the reporter, Rudavsky, both women, by the way, that this smear campaign began with a viral tweet by Megan Fox, who works for PJ Media, which is one of these right-wing fringe media sites. And then it got mainstreamed by the Washington Post, for God's sake, in Glenn Kessler's fact-checking column. Uh, in, in fact, it was such a ripoff that Fox News accused Glenn Kessler, excuse me, not Fox News, Megan Fox, the, the, the person who did the Twitter thread, that, you know, said, oh, there's no, no girl here. She, she accused uh, the Washington Post's Glenn, Glenn Kessler of stealing her work. And Kessler says, oh, yeah, well, this is a, just an anecdote. And there's only one source, the doctor who performed the abortion. So then, you know, it goes, it goes from there. I mean, it's, it's like traveling through the right wingosphere, but now it's in the Washington Post. And then, day before yesterday, it comes out that uh, Gershon Fuentes, a 27-year-old man who lives in Columbus, Ohio, uh, was, yeah, sure enough, arrested and charged with impregnating a 10-year-old. And, in fact, he admitted that he had raped her at least twice. So, uh, by the way, Jim Jordan had tweeted, oh, it's all a lie, or words to that effect. So Jim deletes his tweet and doesn't say another word. And Kessler is trying to bob and weave. And the rest of the right-wing media, you know, what's the old saying from Mark, Mark Twain, I think it was. It said, you know, a lie will get halfway around the world before the truth gets, gets its boots on. You know, the damage was done. Tucker's viewers and all these, you know, everybody watching, they're, they're all, oh, it's just a lie, made up lie. And then yesterday it comes out that this guy Fuentes, who got arrested, is not in this country legally. He's a Guatemalan immigrant or refugee or whatever. Actually, he's a Guatemalan criminal who is in the United States. So now the, the right wing has got their mojo back. Oh, yeah, look at that. It's, a, it's an illegal immigrant who's raping 10-year-olds. Well, it was. 
And you know, this is like this is their now they're happy again. It's just pathetic. It's just pathetic. But then to, to compound this, to, to make this even worse, the state that they had to, that this little girl and her family had to flee to, Indiana, to get the abortion, their attorney general in Indiana, Todd. Rokita. Keep in mind, the Republican Attorney General of Ohio said, oh, it's just a made-up story. The Republican Attorney General of Indiana, he went on Fox News last night and said, we're going to investigate the doctor who performed the abortion. How dare she give an abortion to a 10-year-old? I mean, he didn't say those exact words, but I think this doctor, Dr. Caitlin Bernard is her name. I think she is a hero. She probably saved this little girl's life. I mean, your body is, a, 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 young, a girl's body at 10 years old is not developed well enough to carry a, a pregnancy to term. And frankly, you know, before we started putting hormone-bending, estrogen-mimicking chemicals in our food supply, we didn't see girls 10 years old starting to become you know, starting to menstruate so that they could possibly become pregnant. But, you know, her body could not handle that. So, uh, Tony Aki over at Daily Kos writes, what the hell is wrong with a person who thinks it's a good thing to force a little girl to have a baby by a pedophile? And then, and then goes on to ask, you know, is this rapist going to be granted visitation rights or even custody like the, like the rapist down in Louisiana? We reported that on this program, and then Louisiana said, oh, oh the judge said, oh, well, I, I guess we'll take back the, uh, the parental rights. I mean, he had literally assigned parental rights to the rapist in Louisiana of an underage girl. And then he backed away after everybody in the country learned about it, and there was all this outrage, and it was like, oh, well, sorry. <laughs> it is Louisiana, after all. I don't think this is looking good for the Republicans. And I frankly think that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm watching them twist themselves in pretzels around these kinds of issues. Abortion should be a decision that a woman makes on her own. And if she wants some help with that decision, she's got a doctor, she's got a family. If she's religious, she's got somebody in her, in her religious organization. But this, is a, this decision is hers. Or obviously for a 10-year-old, hers and her families. But, or hers in the States, I actually, I, this, I mean, this was a crime. But the forced birth Republicans, they, they are like feeling their mojo right now. They're passing laws in state after state, no exceptions for rape or incest, no exceptions for children. Now they want to outlaw IUDs. You got pharmacists refusing to sell condoms. They're preparing legislation to outlaw birth control. Clarence Thomas wants to revisit the Griswold decision that legalized birth control for married couples in 1965. I don't think this is going to end well for the GOP. I mean, we'll see what happens come November. But I have a feeling that there's a blowout coming, that there is change in the wind, that Americans, you know, for years and years and years, we've been hearing Republicans talk about this kind of crap and thinking, oh, yeah, they're just being crackpots. They're just blowing smoke out their hats. And now they've done it. I, I, this, guns, I mean, a half a dozen issues, right? I don't think this is going to help them at all this fall. And I think Democrats need to make these issues the center of their campaigns. Crazy alert. This is genuinely crazy. You know, Donald Trump was called out by Liz Cheney at the January 6th hearings, day before yesterday, for reaching out to a witness who would have, who was an employee of the White House, uh, sort of like Cassidy Hutchinson, 
This was another person who was close to her who could have corroborated her story who worked in the White House, at least according to reporting from CNN. And Trump tried to call her, and she didn't take the call. Instead, she called her lawyer, who called the committee, who then said witness tampering, et cetera. So who comes to the rescue? Well, remember Raymond Kelly? He was the uh, police department commissioner in New York City who came up with the bright idea of stop and frisk, that racist policy of, hey, there's a black person, let's grab them. Well, he has a son. His name is Greg Kelly. And uh, Greg Kelly has got a show on Newsmax, which is, you know, Fox News for people who Fox News is too confusing and intellectual for. So Greg Kelly goes on his show and he says that I've received a call from Donald Trump on more than one occasion. And you can't actually tell it's from him because he's got some system you don't know, which doesn't seem to have to do with anything, except that Greg Kelly goes on to say it was probably a butt call. Right, like Donald Trump has his phone out and just somehow has the phone number of a, a White House staffer that he doesn't normally talk to right up at the top on his phone, and then he happens to sit on his phone and butt calls them? Really? I mean, this is what we've come to, right-wingers? This, this is how desperate you are to make it look like Donald Trump isn't a criminal? Why don't you just own it? He's a criminal. I mean, you know, some right-wingers are proud of him for being a, yeah, he rapes women, yeah, cool. I mean, seriously, it's incredible. Hey, special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer, Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethicott, Patrick Hoyt, Geraldine Halbert, Ron Hartenbaugh, Chase Spross, and the folks who run our uh, chat room over on YouTube. Thank you to you all, and thank you for listening and watching our program. Get out there, get active, tag your it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.